Good morning, everyone. This is Jerry Lee, and we're so happy to be with you, and thank you, Janet Lee. Oh, my. Just love to hear those fingers move across those keys and the spirit of sound that comes forth. God bless you. And so today, we carry on. Today, we are in The Whisper of Satan, Part 10. This will be the third um, episode that we have added to the Whisper of Satan collection. And uh, it's not going to finish today because there's just too much yet to go through. But we're going to uh, have a good time. And there's a lot to, to share and a lot to get into. We've been talking about this thing uh, called transfer. How that Lucifer Satan can transfer his, his spirit, his thoughts, and the energy and power of his spirit. And we want to um, unfold somewhat on that. Not that we could possibly, even if we had the whole session, probably complete all that is to be said or that could be said on this incredible and interesting subject. But the Bible has some interesting connections to all of this. And um, it's just interesting when we are able to get into uh, these gushes of the unraveling of glory and, uh, and become a, a part of all the things that, um, that God wants to show us and that God wants to bring us into. There's a scripture, and I shared it with you, I think, last week or recently, about how that the people do not know the depth of Satan, that there is a depth to Satan that can be very, very deep. But another way of describing that word de- uh, depth would to say it could even mean history. The people do not know the history of Satan. There is a major history of the works of Satan that has not been revealed on this planet called Earth to the majority of the people. And so we want to help you along that line over a course of time to give you more and more insight and more and more knowledge so that the wings of your understanding will unfold, unfurl, and you will rise to heights of knowledge never before obtained. We know there's a lot going on in those upper channels. Psalms 18.10 talks about the Lord God. He rode upon a cherub. Psalms 18.104.3 talks about who maketh the clouds his chariots. The clouds being a very very special uh, representation figuratively of something that is very realistic physically. And in Zechariah 5.9, it talks about that which goeth forth. You know, knowing what is on the circuits, knowing what is happening, 
we've had scriptures that talk talk about this flying scroll. And here in Zechariah 5.9, it talks about an ephod that is flying. These generally represent on the spiritual side of, of light. We must know then that on the side of darkness, there is an energetic, deliberate action that's going on in these same different circuit areas, only in a non-spiritual light revelation, but in a purposeful sound of their own message. Revelations 9 9 talks about the sound of the the locusts. We often relate that associate associated wise with the mantis. And these locust men are people that there is a sound that is going forth. And there are things happening uh, in the creation of their kinds of prophecies that are being dispatched into the sound waves of of the air, into the the sky dimensions, very much the same as how it relates that the pre- that the angels preached the everlasting gospel in the skies. There are the counterfeits out there balancing everything that is being done by the good angels. So this whisper of Satan, this whisper into the ground, this familiar spirit connection is a far greater, more powerful carriage of ability than the majority of people have ever begun to realize. We've come to understand the wormwood and the tares and to see how that the the extension and enlargement of that force of being in genetics and in other aspects of human psychological and physiological being has a tremendous potential for negative influence. As we begin to expand on those kind of things, they are just a warm-up. They are just a warm-up of all the other possibilities that practically have no end. In 1 Corinthians 4 through 6, Paul talks in a strange kind of way. He says, these things I have in a figure transferred to myself. He talks about having the ability to take things and to take circumstances that are entwined with people and being able to 
transfer the case actuation of that from another person to himself or from a setting of somewhere besides his own close personal environment into his close personal environment and having the knowledge about it and the capability about it to bear on the facts of that reality. We must not overlook scriptures like that. That was 1 Corinthians 4.6. The reference numbers in Strong's Greek Concordance or Concordance Dictionary, number 3345, speaks of the transfiguring as representing to transfer. So when he says to transfer or to transfigure, they have an interlocking of meaning. And other associate scriptures talk about there being a wall. The Bible talks about the middle wall of perdition or partition. Sorry. sorry. And uh, so these things are extremely powerful and interesting and not to be taken lightly. Colossians 1.13 says, Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. This is talking about a present ongoing event. This isn't talking about some time in the far future when people would become translated in a new state of of living, a new state of location. But he's talking about something very powerful, very differentiated from what the person is without having had that experience and being taken out of the power of darkness because of being translated into the kingdom of the Son of God. Another scripture, Hebrews 11.5, says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. Now whenever it says by faith, you know, that term usually very much connects with hope. When a person's hope is founded on faith, faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ, faith in the ministry, faith in the believing power, the healing power, the delivering power, the sanctimonious power, that there is the potential produced of a causation that can actually bring you into a transformation in the sense of a different state of mind. So that while you are still presently involved 
in the environment that is on the outside and around about you of dark and negative things, you have a total perfect peace, not relative to that miserable darkness, because you have been translated in a new mind of thinking and a new way of discovery. And that is something that is is happening now while you're here and planted on the earth and not after you've been resurrected. And there's something beautiful, absolutely beautiful about that. That power of being translated. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. So the purpose of his translation was to save him from even seeing this death, this incredible death of the people of planet Earth by the flood and other kinds of death, no doubt. God can save you from the things that torment you, that depress you, that you can become easily obsessed with, that want to drag you down, take you down, make something less of you than what you are called to be. God can turn everything around through these kind of processes by a translation or a transfer that can happen now So it's sort of like what David said. He says that he would put a feast together right in the the midst of his enemies. His enemies were all around him and he'd be feasting. And of course the real selective answer to that is that Paul talks about the scripture making it very clear that there are God's people who have entered into the rest, which is what the meaning of the true Sabbath is, and there are people who have not entered into the rest. And the people who have not entered into the rest, because they've not entered into the rest, R-E-S-T, have not entered into the peace and the, and the deliverance that they need. And then they therefore remain in obsessions and depressions, catapulted here and there by the force of of decisions that they in desperation make, hoping to be alleviated, but discovering that those are not the answer for alleviation and deliverance. But there is a provision of coming into a rest, into a state of mind and spirit so that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you have no fear. You do not see the tormented side. You do not see the angry side, the deep, dark, foreboding side. You do not see it. You're almost in a state of Flying with the angels. It is an exciting revelation.
in Second Corinthians eleven fourteen, on the negative side, on the dark side, it tells about how that Lucifer can transform himself, can transfer to an angel of light so that his appearance, his tone, tone and deliver, deliver, deliverance of speech puts him into a mode in which he appears very authentic looking as being an angel of light. But going further than that, and taking Second Corinthians eleven fourteen, and also reading verses thirteen through fifteen, it says that Lucifer's angels can transform or be or transfer into ministers of righteousness and apostles. They can sound like, they can look like, appear like. They are apostles. That they are ministers of righteousness. So those two scriptures you might want to really look at. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Second 2 Corinthians 13 through 15. And we remember in the teachings of, I think it was the teaching of transfiguration upon the Mount of Trans, the tracks upon the Mount of Transfiguration. Numbers 11, C, Numbers 11, 17 speaks about God taking the spirit which was upon Moses and transferring it in a multiple sequence to the 70 elders. And the extent of that transfer was quite something. Very, very deep. Very, very powerful. Now Lucifer can transfer. We know that one of the few persons, I, I don't know of any scripture in the, in the Bible that mentions that Satan entered a human being except the one that says he entered into Judas. Now some people might say, well, there are scriptures about the devil. But you have to read those very, very careful. In order to properly qualify if that scripture is referring to the devil, Satan, and not just one of his other angels. And when I've looked at those scriptures, I, I, I cannot find in those scriptures using the term devil that has any parallel to the scripture where it just clearly says that Satan entered Judas. That was no small thing. But there are other kinds of things that 
Satan can do and he does do. And this might freak a few people out. But Satan, Lucifer Satan, I like to call him, can transfer without being a possession because there's times that God says will say, you cannot possess this person against his will, and they're not allowed to do it. But there are bones on the skull that connect to the breathing and and the ear. They connect to um, the vibrations of sound. And sometimes um, hearing specialists will override ears that have problems and they will connect a hearing aid to this bone in the ear area up above the ear near at the skull base and the vibrations that are transferred through that whole system can be picked up by a hearing aid the voices, the sound and be listened to and be responded to quite efficiently. And this particular area in demonology is called a fringe area. It's a, 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 a mental fringe of a particular human being where Lucifer can, in a minute speck, land on this place of the bone on the, by the skull, which is outside the body, it's the fringe, and pick up the vibrations of thoughts and pick up the vibrations of of things being said and heard and spoken. And where he can play a tapping game on that spot where neurotransmissions vibrate to send his own messages. Now, I recently have been telling people that, you know, Jesus said to Satan one time, get thee behind me, Satan. And I think that that's uh, quite all right to say something like that if you're Jesus Christ. I don't particularly want to give leeway to Satan to even be behind me, although I understand that that word behind, can, behind me can mean other things. But I have used the terminology about Satan not being able to interfere. And I'll tell Satan, I rebuke Satan and say, uh, do not interfere 
I do not give you the right. It is not my will for you to interfere. Get thee hence. And refuse to allow Satan to play a, uh, a tapping game on your skull. Where he can make fun of your soul and spirit and human person. This transfer thing is a big subject. And like I said, I couldn't finish the subject if I was trying to to speak the whole thing. But this power of being able to transfer in some ways has a characteristic to it that is like the transfer of a disease. How that a person who is totally well, not sick, not diseased, can just pass into the presence of someone who is, and the things that that person touches that is sick, has the disease, even the air that that person is breathing or coughing into, becomes tantalized and polluted with the disease that that person's body, that person's body has. And then is readily easy to be transferred into that body that, that heretofore has not had or maybe never had that kind of a, of a disease before. It's just an incredible transfer, just like a disease. So when we see these things that are figurative, which the Bible says that there are things that happen on earth that are figurative of spiritual things. There's both the, the spiritual aspect that is the spiritual aspect of light and the spiritual aspect that is the spiritual aspect of darkness. And the reason the word spiritual is used is because it is the works of spirits, like your spirit even, or God's spirit. And it's not of the total aspect of the physical mortal body doing the work, but the spirit itself is doing this work. And that is a spiritual endeavor, a spiritual actuation. So we do have to be aware of these things. And we cannot let them just slip through our fingers. Because this thing of the transfer is big and is far more serious than can be imagined. Now, in the internet world, there's a lot that has been and continues to come in on past discoveries and new discoveries of underground archaeological sites that uh, are of a nature that the findings are just astounding as to the, the size, the dimension, the multiple figurines of different kinds that they find that seem to have the capability of producing an age of time on some of these 
that goes back in history even as much, if not more, than two million years. There without question exist hidden mysteries. Last week I mentioned about when God speaks about the flood and, and the breaking up of the of the fountains of the deep that that could have a double parallel meaning. A meaning that refers to the shifting of the rock slabs, the mantle, but even in a deeper, different sense, a breaking up of the underground worlds that had been made and planted there by Lucifer Satan and the massive number of hordes of darkness that follow him. Well, in the Bible, there is a word that is used that is a very, very old word. And in science and archaeology, they use the word figurines when they talk about these little, small figures that are made of animals or humans. They have all kinds of odd shapes and some of them they think look like space people, some of them they think look like gods and all these kind of things. Well, the teraphim used to represent something else and it got changed from its, its usage so that it began to not be used the same way it was and became separate. Now let me explain what I mean by that. There's this thing like with Israel where every head father figure or chosen leader figure over a tribe was in charge of a rod, R-O-D. And that rod would have carved on the end of it, where the handle that the hand held, the figure of the father of that tribe. And that was sacred genealogy. And it was deemed both religiously and literally in the physiological sense that there was a carriage by that emblem of a regenerative power in memory of that person. Now, someone will say, well, that can't be a God because the, the commandments say that you're not to make any kind of an image. When people take 
an interpretation like that and take it out of context, it's a very sad thing. Because beyond the shadow of a question of a doubt, Moses was told by God to make various images. Images of the cherubim, the seraphim, and other kinds of images. And he did make them, and God did bless them. When it said, thou shalt not make images, the subject was really about make images of God's gods that belong to the dark and evil side that were wanting to take the place of the living God and be worshipped and recognized and be given latitude for that to happen. And it did happen at a, in a tremendous volume of happenings. So when we are talking about the fathers like Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus made it clear. God is not the God of the dead. So he says, though you might look upon Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as being people who are dead, they are only transferred from the physical mortal body into the spirit world. And that's not even taken in the fact that if they are not assigned certain particular jobs like Abraham was with the Abraham bosom job, some of them might have jobs like coming back into the human race by regeneration. So that they are at the very precipice, the very fingertip of being able to move from the spirit being alive to the spirit taking on a body again for div divine uh, ministry and dispatch. And those things are of extremely important meanings. So the rod might have a carving of Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or some of the other fathers that would belong to the various tribes. And they were very positive. Aaron's rod was a designated choice of God to such an extent that he did the miracle of having a dead piece of wood made into a rod bloom and blossom. And it became a, ma a major revelation of the Levitical priesthood ministry. The rod is very, 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 very designative or a designation of outstanding advanced potentials. And that we speak of on the, the righteous side of things. On the other side, we've got Nimrod. And Nimrod 
<laughs> that name is not an accident. His father, Cush, who was also named Baal, B-A-A-L, Lord Baal, knew exactly what he was doing when he named his son Nimrod. Because it would be his figure, his image, that would be put on that rod of his son Nimrod. Therefore, as we begin to see these connections, open our mind to this thing on the teraphim. In Judges 17.5 and Judges 18.14-20, through 20, I'll repeat that, Judges 17.5, Judges 18.14-20, through 20, we see how that a person by the name of Micah made a teraphim and how that it was accepted as a divine article. In Hosea 3.4, it says, For the children of Israel, and this is the Holy Spirit speaking by the prophet, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, and without teraphim. So that the, the term teraphim was put into the same notch, the same notch, the same elevation with a king, with a prince, with a sacrifice, with an image, with an ephod. And that is an, a claimer, big time, of the place that the word teraphim had on the righteous side sometime a long, long time ago. And so, as I conclude this for a bit, bit here, all these figurines that people are finding that are so anciently old, what they really truly are, are teraphims. Not on the righteous side, but on the, the side of darkness. Now Janet Lee is coming to play the organ. God bless her.
There is a great anthropological puzzle out there in the land of archaeology, in the land of the discoveries of the legendary happenings of the times, because of the things that are being found that do not match modern histories, ideologies, because of things that are being found that do not match or sign up with viewpoints even of evolution. All these figurative things like the Sumerian figurines and these huge megalithic cities built with these monstrous stones and these massive underground kingdoms of former ice ages. Create questions that today's scientific inquiries are not able to answer. For instance, Egypt has no flood legend. And yet, it is proven knowledge that at one time long ago in history, the Atlantic Ocean massively flooded and swept into the Mediterranean Sea. Egypt has no such flood legend, but in their Book of the Dead, it does deeply, clearly hint of such things. In the Pylopreistocene age, two million years ago, figurines are being found that are challenging even evolution. And then there's things like even in America, across many different states of America, where finds for some long time have been discovered. For instance, in the Los Angeles area, it is said that there were ancient bones of giants, ancient heads of giants that were over nine feet tall. And they have pictures that were taken way back when. But those bones and those skulls and even most of those pictures have disappeared. And it is said they are untouchables hidden in secret locations of museums as forbidden secrets.
Well, we know from the Bible that giants not only did exist, but they were plentiful. We know like close to the areas where some of these giants lived like Edrei near Bashan. There were underground cities that still exist today. They're not operative, but they're there to be seen if you're allowed to get into them to see them. And there are miles and miles and miles in width and length. This was a land of the giants. Smithsonian Institute does not have all the answers at least made available. There are just so much to be understood. These underground worlds in Los Angeles and many other areas of the Americas seem to have a lot of backing as being a reality. Well, people do not understand how things have changed. And how that because things have changed and people are trying to base an understanding on the thing or the person or the being or the person or animal that has changed on what they have changed into and the understanding based on that as to how they suppose that they must have always been, which is quad trillions of miles from the fact. To not understand what that that entity, that person, that thing was before it evolved into a different a different kind of, of a different kind of structure, different kind of a form is major the answer. and cannot even be approached by minor mode statements based on what the critter is or the thing is or the entity is today. Now the Bible talks about Satan being the dragon Being a devil and being an old serpent. Well, people say, yeah, you see there, he's a serpent. And right away, they get the idea that, that he must look somewhat like a snake. And they don't understand that the an old serpent that the Bible is referring to looks nothing at all like a snake. 
So you've got all these people with the alien ideas introducing all of these different kind of serpent people. They absolutely have no understanding of what the really meaning was. How that the snake is what people call serpents today. But there was a time that the serpent was 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 a people. The Gaihan of the four rivers that came out of of Eden. They were the serpent people. And let me explain to you that they walked on legs like you and I do, had arms, had a head, had a mouth, had a brain, and they were called serpents. Now people think that because the Bible says that they committed a curse, therefore they lost their legs, their arms, and their right to walk like humans walk. So they had to slither, slither on the ground, on their bellies. And that's the serpent that you have today. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible says that the old serpent had legs that it walked on. That's because the old serpent had bodies, physical bodies that were human-like. And that's what the old serpent looked like So when the Bible says in Genesis that the gods went down and they made the decision, let us make man in our image, plural, and when they came from the first domain into the universe, they had to create bodies to be able to communicate on the universal level and they created these bodies that look like like humans and they said we're going to make man in our like us the way we look we look like we're we look like humans and we're going to make man to look like us like us doesn't mean they're going to have all the advantages of the brain advantages of some of the body uh, capabilities but they were going to be like, in looks, they were going to be like the gods, the Elohim. Now when it says that these, this Gaihan people lost their arms and legs as, as it is being interpreted, it's talking about something totally different than what people are thinking. It didn't mean that they, you know, would be slithering around like a snake. What it meant was that they would no longer have the ability. There was going to be a block made, a a barricade made to block them from being able to get over onto the east side of the garden from their west side of the garden. 
And all that they were going to have in the way of knowledge and capability would be what would feed themselves as far as information, as far as provisions, as far as anything else. Their feet, hands would not be useful at all to invade the Garden East anymore. And we can see that design, that idea, by the very idea that the cherubims, angels, were put around about the tree of life with their swords going in all directions to keep such critters from being able to come and get a provision into that special knowledge and capability. So when it's talking about the old serpent, it's totally different than talking about an old snake. And then people trying to base this reptilian idea on what the creation looks like. That's not even Bible. When Lucifer, Satan, did things, he did them on a grand scale. And the Bible is very clear that all the things that he was involved in, they were beautiful. An angel of light compared his kind of things to these beautiful cedar trees of which it called it as part of the Garden of Eden. And yeah, there's different kinds of birds. There's birds that were like vultures. But there were songbirds, beautiful birds. Birds that could sing with such beautiful voices and had such glorious appeal of feather and style and poise that it would just grab your breath. Those are the kind of things that Lucifer was into. Now that doesn't mean that he did not also create things like dinosaurs. And we think of dinosaurs when we look at the bone as a, a terrible monster, beastly thing. But if there could be a zoo somewhere where people could put those creatures and, and they could be safe from being able to visit it, why, practically the whole world would want to go and, and on a fairly frequent basis and watch and see those dinosaurs. They would be totally attracted to them. Because actually, the dinosaurs lived for millions and millions of years. They were totally successful. And they didn't perish because of anything less than a huge rock from space that brought destruction to the earth. And mostly the things that existed past that time were things like rats that went underground and some other kind of animals that went underground. But they were a beautiful creation. 
the way that they were measured out, the way that they were put into the livelihood of their existence. Yes, people just don't understand the history, the depth of Satan, the history of Satan. They don't understand. Now let's let's take that a little further. Let's um, let's look at um, Revelations chapter sixteen, verse thirteen. Revelations sixteen thirteen. This is very interesting. Here is here is what we're told here. In verse 16. Now let me start that over. Let's take chapter 16 and let's start with um, verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vile upon the great river Euphrates. And the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs, F-R-O-G-S, three unclean spirits like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth into the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them together to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Now here we have three unclean spirits, devil spirits, coming out of the Three entities described, the mouth of the dragon, the mouth of the beast, and the mouth of the false prophet. Now the the comparison is interesting, that the dragon would be compared to the beast, the beast would be compared to the false prophet. So you got two sort of animal type of images, the dragon and the beast, And then you've got an image that seems to be totally different called a false prophet. And out of the mouth of each one of those is coming three unclean spirits. Because what is represented here in these three is the satanic trinity. The father spirit of the frog which is the father Satan we can easily find scriptures uh, especially in the book of John it tells about the very clear reference of Satan being called a father. So we have the father, and then we have the son, which is called the son of perdition. 
And then we have the Spirit. And it, like the false prophet, looks totally different than the beast and the dragon. The Spirit looks totally different than the Father, than the Son of Perdition, because it's a spirit and the other two are physical entities. And this is described in the book of the Gospel of John. And First John 4.13, the spirit of the Antichrist. And 1 John 2.18, there are many antichrists that existed even then. And we can understand that when we think in terms of the, of the spirit. <clears throat> because spirits of devils, of angels, of high rank are omnipresent. They can be in more than one place at a time and they can be more than one entity at a time. And all of the devils of Satan were co-owned with Satan. So they had to be at a status of being equal to to, to being, being a high-ranking archangel. So now we see these three powerful characteristics, forces, the dragon, the beast, and the, and the false prophet. And we see them being represented by frogs. And a person would say, well, I remember there was the plague of the frogs in the day of Moses and the children of Israel. Yeah. But let's go a little different into this thing on the, on the frogs. The frogs have been around for millions and millions of years. Let's get an understanding really going back into the history. Just like when you look at a frog today, you don't see the frog that lived back then. But even in the frogs today, there are some characteristics that are absolutely outstanding. Now, frogs can come from tadpoles. But not all frogs come from tadpole, but tadpole is like a little fish, and then it becomes a frog. But not all frogs have to be tadpoles before they become frogs. But a frog is capable of being in the water or being on land. And they're classed as an animal, and they go through various metamorph metamorphoses. Now, it is said that lightning strikes Earth eight million times a day. Well, I just pray that the lightning of these teachings. will touch some of the people that are hearing this message and they will really get into the depth of this incredible revelation. Because 
When we open the DNA of the frog, we are opening into a power of great versatility. A frog can can go into a metamorphosis and in extremely cold weather it can freeze so that its heart stops beating. But even though its heart stops beating and it's in this frozen state, as soon as it warms up, which may be months and months later, even though it was frozen, it comes back to life as though nothing had ever happened. And the frogs have a way of lowering their their whole heart count, blood count. They, they have a way of metamorphosizing. There's one kind of frog that digs down into the mud and uses his own skid, his own skin to create a kind of cocoon leaving just one small little place at the mouth and nose for it to breathe. He's totally cocooned in the, this frog skin. And he can stay there for months and months without eating or drinking in this hibernation or estivation state. And when the rain comes again, he leaves his skin cocoon and he's back on the job of being a frog. Frogs are an awesome creation. Don't put them down. The DNA creation of the frog is a masterpiece. Now something very strange has recently happened. They have recently discovered in Madagascar some frogs that have not been down on their records. They found from various remains that 70 million years ago there were frogs that had teeth. Some frogs had teeth-like things in the, their upper part of their jaw. But there were some frogs that had both lower and upper teeth and they used those teeth in their predation and eating of, of the creatures they caught. And these uh, frogs that they found in Madagascar, they say are bad-tempered frogs. And they're called the Belgium Bula devil frog.
They weigh about 10 pounds. They're 16 inches high. And it is expected that 70 million years ago, with their teeth, they were able to kill hatching dinosaurs. Some frogs have horns on their heads. But they say about this new frog that they found that it is a giant frog from hell. That it's a devil frog. And what they don't understand, because evolution is not supposed to work like that, it usually never goes backwards. It's always going forward for better or for worse. But in this case, here is a re-evolving of jaw teeth that actually, if you got technical about it, goes back 200 million years ago. These frogs that go into hibernation or uh, estivation they actually are in a state of being dead. So this thing that you hear about the living dead is truly a fact with, with these frogs. They, they are actually no heartbeat. They are actually dead. They're like mummies, but they come back to life after their hibernation or estivation period is changed according to the climate. The DNA of these critters is sensational. And so let's not look at it lightly. When these frogs are used to describe these devils. Because we could preach a whole sermon about how that these things, as said, being capabilities through the metamorphosis, if applied to demons and their spirit life, could be quite sensational in their work and terminologies with trying to conquer the humans. So, in John 8, 44, Jesus says, You are of your father, Satan. The Gihon serpent people did not look like reptilians. They looked like humans. The revelation of of Satan, the old serpent. Has a deep, incredible meaning. The lost meaning of these things. Over the ages. Have caused people in the modern age. To use the modern example. To try, try to explain 
the relative understanding of what these critters are and what they represent when the modern example of what people are trying to make the point of has nothing to do whatsoever. We know that the word snake was used by even kings of the Old Testament. There was a king by the name of Nahash. The word Nahash means snake. Well, just because a human like this king was called the name snake didn't mean that he looked anything like a snake or reptile. He was given that name for a different reason than having looks like a reptile. So a lot of this idea is about reptilian is flush toilet stuff. So now we've got all of this coming to a a, re, a, a a revolution of thought and at the same time a resolution of thought. Because we've got, as I said, the spirit of the Antichrist which is when you compare it to the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, people become filled with the Holy Ghost. They have a possession of the Holy Ghost. Well, that same thing happens, which is the opposite of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It is a possession of the Antichrist Spirit which is the opposite of being filled by the Holy Ghost. A prophet of God speaks by the Spirit through the Holy Ghost. A false prophet speaks by the the Antichrist Spirit. We begin to see the relativity of all these things. So important. So very, very important. So, now, as we think of all these points that we've made here today, the rest, the Sabbaths, the frogs, the dragon, the beast, the Antichrist, the Satanic Trinity, the transfer of Satan spreading like a disease, and the rod. I've, I've done so many teachings on the rod way, way, way in the past. The rod is an incredible revelation. It's involved in genetics. It's involved in design of prophecy, design of sacred relational meanings. And then we have 
Nimrod. Married to this lady who legends say was actually Nimrod's older sister. Who he became involved with in a not very spiritual relationship. And his mother became his wife and his queen. I've preached on this, ministered on this before. But by going back into this Judas revelation, we have to reiterate some of these points. Because beyond a question of a shadow of a doubt, they have significant meaning. Now people say, well, there's nothing about Judas in the Old Testament. By just saying that, you reveal the total ignorance that you have of the Bible. In Acts one twenty, Peter said, it is written in the book of Psalms, speaking of of Judas. May his place be deserted. May another take his place of leadership. It tells us in Acts one twenty that Judas has been predicted by the by the Bible in the Old Testament. 1 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4 says that Christ cannot come until the man of sin be revealed who is the son of perdition. Why are we going to be preaching and revealing about who Judas really was? How that the king of Babylon who was this rod man Nimrod became Judas. And how that the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4, that there is a force that holds back the coming of Christ. And the man of sin must be revealed before the Christ can come. This man of sin is called the son of perdition. Now, we're ministering and we're preaching on what the Bible is saying is something that must be done. This revelation must be given. It must be revealed. So, 2 Corinthians 2, 1 through 4, the coming of Christ cannot happen till the man of sin be revealed. Yes, I say it again. It is so important. So very, very, very important. And it's all part of the mystery of iniquity. There is a mystery of iniquity that people have not understood. And it's about the history of Satan and the history of his acts.
And when you read Second Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12, you see that again in this mystery of, the, of iniquity, there is a force that is holding back things. And until that force that is holding back things is taken out of the way, it is preventing the coming of Jesus Christ. And in John seventeen eleven through 12, Jesus said of his 12 disciples, <clears throat> none of them was lost, but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Now the only scriptures he could be talking about would be the Old Testament, because the New Testament had not been written at that time that that was said. The scriptures had to be fulfilled. And only the son of perdition. And Jesus in another place said, it would be better to have not ever been born than to be the man that did what Judas did. Psalms 41.9, it says, My own familiar friend in whom I trusted who did eat at my bread has lifted up his heels against me. It's in the Bible. This revelation is so incredible. Next week, I want to really open up scriptures like Ezekiel 14 through 8 how that the women which were Jews were found by Ezekiel weeping for Tammuz, which is a name that is another name for Nimrod. And he has passed on, but they are so missing the personality of what this person represents and the character and, the, and, and his, his God of the sun thing that they are weeping there is a huge infiltration of the Nimrod characteristic that invaded the nations of the world and there's a really big place for Istar the wife the of Nimrod, the queen, who no doubt has come back to be the mother of Babylon. Well, we want to get into all of this in a big way next week. God bless you so much. Janet Lee at the Baldwin, Oregon. Until next week when we really open up this story. God bless you.